Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hi, I'm Jimmy Evans, and this is the Marriage Day Podcast. On this season of the podcast, we're highlighting one of my favorite teaching series. Marriage on the Rock was first printed in 1994 and has helped millions of couples since. In Marriage on the Rock, we cover what it takes to have a successful biblical marriage. In today's episode, I'm talking about parents, past and present. Enjoy this teaching. This is talking about baggage from our past. This is the first part that we're talking about is how our parents affected us growing up and how we bring that into uh, our marriage relationships. And then the second part is on in-laws, dealing with our in-law relationships, parent and in-law relationships in our lives. You know, and, and parents and in-laws are a great blessing. They, they really are. But there are two sides of that coin. If we don't handle those relationships properly, they can cause a lot of problems. So the, the purpose of this is help us to deal historically with our parents and maybe some baggage from our past and then deal presently with that relationship. Let's begin with the parents of our past. Two huge issues that we have to deal with from our past and it's iniquities and inner vows. Now, I've never met a person who didn't have iniquities from their past or inner vows from their past and these are both negative things. Karen and I both have had to break iniquities and inner vows from, from our past. Now, we, we have wonderful parents and wonderful in-laws, but all parents are imperfect. I mean, no, no parent is perfect. And so because of the imperfect parenting that we have when we're growing up, we, we develop iniquities and inner vows. Let me talk about iniquities for just a minute. In Exodus 34, 7, this is God keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers, and that really means parents, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. God says, I'm a merciful God, but the truth is the iniquities of parents are visited for three or four generations. The word iniquity uh, in the Hebrew language it is the word avon, and it just means to bend. It's like if you have a prevailing wind that blows from a certain direction, you see a tree that just begins to bend under the influence, that's the word iniquity. It just means you grew up under a certain negative influence and under that negative influence, you developed a bent. And that means we all know that certain things run in families. That because of the influence of your parents growing up and they have the most powerful influence in our lives, because of the influence of our parents, what they do, we tend to do. That's why we say the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. Is because they are our most powerful role model growing up. And so let me give you some examples of family iniquities. Things that we can develop a bent for in our lives. Anger. You know, everybody gets angry, but I'm saying there are families where they just yell all the time and everybody, no one knows how to deal with their anger. They're kind of an angry family. Substance abuse runs in families. Chauvinism, sexism, and racism. How did your parents deal with people of different races? How did your parents deal with people of the opposite sex? Those kinds of things. 
uh, physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, which many times is generational. Uh, family systems uh, pass these down. Bigotry, immorality, negativity, just being negative, uh, lack of faith, lack of belief, those kinds of things. Perfectionism, uh, conditional love. I love you more if you make A's than if you make C's or D's. I, I like you more, I love you more if you're the quarterback than if you're, you know, the water boy or whatever. Um, pride, unforgiveness, gossip, talking about people behind their back, things like that, lying, greed, rebellion. We can all sin on our own, but we, we know that the influence of our families bends us in a certain direction, and it's the power of repetitive modeling. And it's also the nature of parenting. Parenting is more caught than taught. Your life speaks louder than your lips. And regardless of what we say to our children, the truth is the video recorder is playing at all times. And when they get older, the archives that they're dealing with life through are those video and audio archives of how we lived our lives. What we did, they have a tendency to do. And we all know this. And so we... Karen and I, one of the things that we decided when we get married, when we got married was we wanted to be the end of all iniquities in our families. We wanted to break the iniquities of previous generations off of us so that we didn't pass those things on to our children. And so you first of all have to discover what those iniquities are. Let me just ask you some questions in discovering iniquities. Do you have iniquities? And again, I've never met a person that didn't have iniquities from their past. Here's some questions that you can ask in saying, do I have iniquities? Number one, were the things were you exposed to while you were growing up biblically sound and morally correct? Because see, the Bible is straight. When you say, well, what is straight? The Bible, the, the way God does things, the way God treats people, the way God deals with anger, uh, God's standards and values related to money and, and all of those things, that's straight. What's bent? Things that are not according to the word of God. If your parents didn't deal with things biblically and morally, it means they were bent. They had a bent away from the word of God. The way people in your family resolve conflict. In my family, we, we didn't know how to deal with conflict, so we just, we just didn't make eye contact. Um, in our family, you knew, you knew how mad someone was based on how long they didn't look at you. We, we didn't know how to deal with it. We just, and we weren't yellers or throwers. Now, Karen's family is opposite, and, and that is when they got mad, oh my gosh, it, which, which I didn't know how to deal with because, you know, in my family, you just didn't look at somebody for three or four days, and then when you looked at each other, that meant it was over. But we never, well, it, we never talked things out. We just, we just didn't know how to. Well, in Karen's family, you knew they were mad because they started yelling, and five minutes later, they're all crying and hugging each other. It's like, these people are crazy, you know. But it was much healthier than what I was raised in. How did your family resolve conflict? Biblically, in a good, healthy way of talking things out and forgiving? I mean, if they did it correctly, then you probably do it correctly because you had a good role model. If they didn't do it correctly, you probably picked up on that. Giving people a silent treatment, outburst of anger, intimidation, however they did it. The way your family handled money. Were they materialistic? Were they miserly? Were they givers? Were they, you know, how did they, how did they handle money? The way your father treated your mother. Was he sexist and chauvinist and demeaning of her? How did he treat her mother? The way your mother treated your father. Was she honoring or was she demeaning? Attitudes toward children and values in life. All of those things. 
Were they biblical? And if they were biblical, that means it was like this. If they were not biblical, it means they were like this. And you have a tendency then to do those same things. Okay. Number two, do you practice those same things? Were the things that you were influenced by growing up, were they correct and biblical and moral? Secondly, do you practice those same things? Because tendons, we, we basically do. We don't always do it, but we generally have that tendency to do it. The third thing is, have you ever dealt properly with the things that you viewed as wrong, things that are unbiblical, or maybe even abuse that you suffered while you're growing up. Have you ever dealt with that? And again, most of us haven't. And it's never too late. It doesn't matter how old you are. In just a few minutes, you can break the iniquities of your past off of your life. And let me tell you how you do this. The first is you just recognize the problem and call it what it is. Sometimes we have a tendency to get defensive of our family system. We really do. And, you know, we say, well, that's just the way that Evans is doing. Let me say this. It doesn't matter if that's the way that Evans is doing. It matters if that's the way God does it. Okay. I love my family. I love my parents, my grandparents. I love all of my relatives. But my greatest loyalty is to God. Okay. So I'm not going to get defensive about it. And I'm just going to say, I was a chauvinist. When, When Karen and I got married, I was exposed to chauvinism. Really not my father as much as my grandfather and and really that whole family system. Secondly, you have to take responsibility for your behaviors. Listen, your parents or your grandparents may have done something wrong, but if you're doing it, it's just as wrong. It's just wrong. Uh, Karen one time was counseling a, a lady that we knew very well, and this woman was saying, my mother is negative. My mother never says anything positive, and blah, 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 blah. Well, we had known this lady for a long, long time, and Karen said to her, well, do you know you're the same way? And she said, what? And she said, you never say anything positive. You're, you're a negative person. You're always saying something negative. See, she blamed her mother for being negative, but she excused it in herself. And we have a tendency to be that way. We, we blame our parents. Do you, do you do it? Okay, well, if I do it, it's just as wrong as them doing it. And by the way, if I do it, I'm gonna pass it on to my children. And again, Karen and I said, we're the end of iniquities in our family. We want to pass righteousness on to the next generation. We don't want any more iniquities in our family, things that are unbiblical. So I'm going to take responsibility. Number three is I've got to forgive my mom and dad. I've got to forgive them. Whatever they did to me growing up, you know, it's, they probably had it passed on to them. And let me give you an example of this. My dad, I love my dad, and he went to be with Lord a couple of years ago, and my dad was, he got saved about you know, 20 years ago or so. He, he really wasn't a Christian, practicing Christian when we were growing up but he was a wonderful man. But my dad, I played every sport, baseball, basketball, football, everything. My dad never one time came to one of my games. He just worked all the time. He worked more than his boss asked him to work, which I always thought was odd. And I looked at my dad, you know, and I just thought, you know, he's, he was a workaholic. And, um, and I had that tendency, you know, when, um, I, when I grew up, I had that same tendency. And... Um, I never knew why my dad was that way until my aunts, my dad has nine brothers and sisters. And my dad didn't talk, he didn't communicate about his past and things like that. So my father grew up in abject poverty, abject poverty. My father slept outside every night on a cot. They only had one bedroom in their house and they had 10 children. Only one sister got to sleep inside and nobody liked her. And uh, she had the only toothbrush in the family. There was one toothbrush and she had it. And so my dad slept outside every night. In the winter, he slept with the horses. Um, my father ate vegetables every day because they only ate meat once a week because they were so poor. 
And when my father went to the first, now I didn't know this, my father never told me this, my aunts told me this story and when I was an adult. And so my father went to the first grade with no shoes on. He, he didn't know they were poor. He had no reference, they lived out on a farm. And when he went to the first grade, he didn't have any shoes on and he walked into school without shoes on and saw other children with shoes and it embarrassed him and he ran outside and grabbed a tree in the front yard of the school and wouldn't let go till his parents came and got him. Well, it shamed my dad. And I know that my father made himself a promise. My children will always have shoes. And my, my father loved me, you know, I knew, but, but it was always kind of bizarre to me because I would always tell him, Daddy, I have a game tonight. And he never came to me. And he loved me. I knew he loved me. And he was proud of me. But he, he would never come to a game. He would work instead. See, when it always bothered me. Why did my dad come to my games? When my aunts told me that story, I gave my father grace. Okay. Now, I, it helped me to, to understand the scar that was in my dad. He, he just wasn't being that way for no reason. He had pain from his past also. And I say this. If you tell me about your parents, I'll tell you about your grandparents. You need to give your mom and dad grace. So a lot of times we, we want mercy for ourselves, but we don't want it for our moms and dads. And we understand the influences that affected us growing up, but we don't understand that our parents and grandparents, they had those same influences on them and sometimes even worse. My mother and father are better people than they should have been based on what they experienced growing up. They really are remarkable people when I look back on how they were. And so you have to forgive your mother and father. You have to forgive your mother and father. It's the biggest issue in being free from your past. In fact, you'll never be free from your past until you forgive your mother and father and just say, God bless them. Whether they're alive or dead, they may be dead. Bless them, God, and forgive them. I want mercy, and I give them mercy. And here's the fourth step in dealing with inner vows, and that is make Jesus the Lord of that area of your life. See, related to chauvinism in my life and being a workaholic, is that it was just an area that wasn't submitted to the Lord. Is I was a Christian when I was a chauvinist. Is I was a Christian. I woke up and prayed and read my Bible and went to church, but I was a, I was a male chauvinist pig. Why? It's because Jesus wasn't Lord of my life in that area. In the way that I treated Karen, I didn't, I didn't pray about it. I didn't ask the Lord how to deal with my wife. I was not reading the Bible and doing what the Bible was saying in that particular area. If you're bent, there's only one way to get straight, and that is the influence of Jesus Christ. How does Jesus want you to deal with anger? How does Jesus want you to deal with money? How does Jesus want you to deal with values and priorities in peer pressure and sexual temptation and, and substances and all of those things? You go to him and say, Jesus, I surrender this to you and I pray that you would heal me in this area and I break this iniquity off of my life. I call it what it is. I repent of it. I take responsibility for my behavior. I forgive my mother and father or anybody who is responsible for this in my life, and I break this off of my life. And what happens is, just like that, it'll be broken off your life. You still have to deal with behaviors after that, but something happens spiritually when you break that iniquity. We'll have an opportunity to do that in just a minute. There's another one. This is the opposite of an iniquity, and it's an inner vow. The first thing that we do, if, if we don't deal with it properly, we're just going to have a bent uh, just like our parents were. We're going we're gonna to be like them, typically. But there's another thing that's called an inner vow. And this is a, a self-directed promise that we make to ourselves in response to difficulty or pain. It's a self-comforting thing. You know, 
it would be great when you're growing up. I wish, I wish, you know, and the Lord was certainly with me when I was growing up. But I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know how to deal with pain. So um, I didn't. I stuffed a lot of pain in my life. And the other thing is I, I made inner vows. Um, and I, I've never met a person that had never made an inner vow. I think every person at some point has made one. Something difficult is going on. We're in a difficult circumstance. And we make ourselves these little promises. And, so, you know, an example is I'll never treat my children like that. I'll never spank my children. I'll never make my kids wear hand-me-downs. I wore hand-me-downs all my life. My brothers, I asked my parents one time, can I go shopping when uh, Damien and Lucifer buy clothes? Because I, I'm going to be wearing them one of these days. I don't like red. They like red all the time, and I don't like red. Um, Mike and Randy are their names. Randy is Lucifer, by the way. Is <laughs> I'll never make my kids work. I'll never be poor again. I think that's what my dad said. I'll never be. It's a comforting thing when you're going through pain to tell yourself, I'm not coming back here. No one is ever going to hurt me again. And see, when you're really going through a difficult circumstance, a divorce or you know, a difficult uh, problem where someone's really hurt you, we, we say that to ourselves. No one's ever going to hurt me again. I'll never let my wife or husband treat me like that. When I get older, I'm not going to go to church every time the door opens. You know, I'm not going to shove religion down my kid's throat. Whatever we say. And there's many, many ways that we comfort ourselves. And the problem is, is Jesus calls it evil. It's interesting. Twice the Bible calls these evil. Matthew 5, this is what Jesus said. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than this is of the evil one. Jesus says, you don't go around swearing things. You don't swear by God. And you know, some people say, I swear to God. He said, don't do that. Don't, you don't go around swearing. You don't swear by things or people or heaven or earth. When you say yes, let your yes be yes or no be no because anything more than that is of the evil one. See, when we make ourselves a self-promise, we're promising, we're vowing to ourselves. I promise myself this is not gonna happen. He said, you can't do that. You can't do that. James 4, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go and do such thing and go to a, such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. You say, I'll never be poor again. Really? Really? No one's ever going to hurt me again. Really? Here's what happens. When you make yourself a promise, you become God in that area. I'm, I'm taking my life over. I'm saying I am God of my finances. And I'm saying right now, no one's, I'm never going to be poor again. I am God in that area. No one's ever going to hurt me again. I am God in the area of my finances. I'm telling you right now, it's never going to happen to me again. And James says, you don't talk about like, life like that. You don't know what's going to happen. That's an arrogant thing to do. And of course, when we're kids and we're growing up, we don't know. You know, we don't, we don't know. We're not trying to be evil or do something like that. But let me say this. In any area of your life that you have an inner vow operating right now, Jesus is not the Lord of that area. And that's why he says it's evil. Because it takes us away from him. And so that's, that's what the Lord wants me to do. 
Inner vows prohibit normal learning and growth and cause extremes. How do you break inner vows? Number one, you ask the Holy Spirit to show them to you. Holy Spirit, is, is there an inner vow in my life? And some, sometimes we forget, because there's, because there's pain attached to it, sometimes we forget about it, but we can just ask the Holy Spirit, is there an inner vow in my life? Is there something I promised myself back when that I need to break? Number two is you repent to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I didn't know, honestly, because we don't know any better. I mean, you know, we don't know any better. God knows that, but we do now. And we realize the negative effect. Let me, let me give you an example of this. If you've been through bad relationships, let's just say you've been a bad, through a, a bad marriage in the past, and you say to yourself, no one's ever gonna hurt me again. Did you know the worst abusers in marriage are the people that have inner vows in their life? The most abusive man I've ever counseled in marriage grew up under a very, very domineering mother. And he saw his mother emasculate his father every day. And he said to himself, I will never let a woman treat me like that. And let me just tell you something. He humiliated and dominated every woman in his life because he had made a vow. No woman's ever gonna do that to me. So he went to the, like a drunk man on a horse. He goes to the other extreme. His father was docile. Now he is a woman hater. And we repent and say, God, I repent. I repent of this inner vow and for taking that area of my life away from you, and here's the biggie, here's number three, you gotta forgive that person. Ex-husband, ex-wife, ex-business partner, friend, you know, someone who cheated on you, someone who hurt you, your parents, your, your brothers and sisters, your whatever, whoever it was. Lord, I forgive that person, because again, you just, you're never gonna be free from it until you forgive. And so you forgive that individual. So let's talk about the parents of our present. Here are four principles in dealing with parents and in-laws. Very important principles. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. The parents that we have now, number one is the principle of honor. The Bible tells us to honor our mothers and fathers. Now, we don't obey them unless we're children at home. I don't have to obey my parents. Once I leave home, I'm, I'm free from their authority. Now, if I'm taking money from my parents, if, if they're giving money, they may deserve more scrutiny. I mean, not to control me, but if they're giving me money, certainly they need to have conversations with me, maybe about, you know, if I'm taking money on an ongoing basis, but that still doesn't give them authority from my life. But you always honor your mother and father in the way that you talk about them and the way that you treat them as adults, I honor them. This is the first commandment with a promise, the Bible says, that we will live long and it will go well with us on the earth. God takes it very seriously how we treat our parents. Uh, in Mark 7, 11, Jesus said to the Pharisees that when it came to their parents, 
in helping their parents out that the Pharisees would say, well, anything that I would help you with is Corban. In other words, it was given to God. Listen, we need to help our moms and dads. If your mother and father need help, you need to help your mother and father. Karen and I, my dad passed away, but we have three parents in their 80s. Let me tell you, we give each other a lot of grace to help our parents. Karen helps her parents a lot, and I help my mother a lot. And it's very important that we honor them, regardless of what they've done or, or they're doing. Number two, not obey now, but to honor. Number two is the principle of separation. You have to separate enough from your parents to bond. There has to be some separation. You leave your mother and father to cleave into your wife. And that just means you have to have enough time together to bond. Okay. So let me talk about the, the characteristics of a problem in-law. Okay. When you have an, in, an in-law relationship where they just won't give you enough time, is that, that you just don't have enough distance from them. And when I say distance, you may live uh, next door to them. That's not an issue at all. It's the emotional distance and them honoring your need for separation. A problem in-law, first of all, lacks bonding with their spouse. If, if they're married, they're not getting a bonding, the right bonding with their spouse. And mother-in-laws get a bad rap on this, but it could be a mother-in-law or a father-in-law. There are very few problem in-laws that have a fulfilling marriage. If they're getting their needs met there, they don't have to do that. The second characteristic of a problem in-law is they lack significance in other areas of their lives. They're, they're not serving in the community. They don't have a good network of friends. They don't, they, they're, just, they're looking for significance. And then what happens is because they're not bonded well with their spouse and because they lack significance, they gain excessive identity through their children. And I'm saying this to all the mothers and fathers. When your children are growing up, love your children. They're precious. Love your children, but don't let them take this place of your spouse because when they leave, you'll try to leave with them and emotionally follow them, and they won't want that. They'll come a point in time, and it, and it will ruin their marriages in the future. You work on your marriage, and when they leave, let me tell you, when our kids left, we cried for a few minutes, and then we partied. <laughs> and, you know, we had a great marriage, and we could run around the house in our underwear, and we were proud of it. And so we loved our children. We raised our children the best that we knew how. They've had a successful life since then, and we missed them when they left. But I'll tell you, our, our marriage had an opportunity then to do things that we weren't able to before. Here's how you handle a problem in-law, and that is you lovingly put parameters on your time with them. You lovingly do this. Everything you do, you do with love and respect, but you have to do it. And that is, we love being with you guys. You don't tell them no. You just say, we love being with you guys. Hey, let's be, let's be with you guys this weekend. We'll, we'll eat lunch with you. We'll eat dinner with you. And they say, no, we want this and this and this. We just, I'm, we're so sorry. We love being with you, but we just can't do that because of our schedule. And so you lovingly put parameters on them. Don't respond to manipulation or threats. The number three principle is the principle of protection. You have to protect your spouse from your parents. It's your responsibility. You know, with, with my in-laws, and we have a wonderful relationship with my in-laws, I can't talk to them the same way Karen can. Karen can give them the short version. I can't do that. And Karen is very honoring of her mother and father, but Karen can just say to her mom, dad, uh -uh, don't talk about Jimmy like that. Don't do that. And she doesn't have to do that. My, my in-laws are great. But I'm saying, it's, I need Karen to protect me. If I have to, I can protect myself. But it means a lot to me if she's willing to do it. And I have to protect Karen from my parents. If my parents said something or did something, and I worked with my parents for seven years before I came into the ministry, on several occasions, I had to just say to my mom and dad, because we did work together, this is where the line is right here. This is the line drawn right here. 
Okay, and very lovingly, very respectfully, this is the line here, and don't cross that line. And Karen always said, thank you, Jimmy. Thank you for doing that. It's my responsibility. It's your responsibility to protect your spouse from your parents. Now, if uh, it could be that your parents are so strong or there's some kind of a relationship there that you need the assistance of your spouse, that's fine. But if you stand back passively and don't deal with your parents while they're crossing a line, and mistreating your spouse, that's wrong. Listen, do not use your parents as your marriage counselors. Ever, because long after you've forgotten, they'll still remember. Okay. And go, go, don't ever dishonor your spouse in front of your parents, ever, ever, because they'll pick up on that. If, if you need to vent, go to a very spiritual person, a pastor, a very godly friend who can handle it, and after you've vented, vented they can say, okay, that's wrong, repent, you know, get your attitude right, and, and they can help you out. But with your mom and dad, they'll have a tendency to take up that offense. And so I'm gonna protect my spouse from my parents, and it's gonna mean a, a lot to your spouse. And the fourth principle is the principle of friendship, is your parents, you know, I don't let my friends rearrange my furniture. You know, I mean, I just wouldn't allow that. And, uh, and they wouldn't try. But if, you're, if your parents cross those lines of controlling your life uh, with our kids, you know, if we let friends take care of our kids, you better honor our, our value system. And I wouldn't, you know, my parents, I, I love my mom and dad, but uh, when our kids were growing up, there was, we had to tell them, we don't let our kids watch those cartoons. You know, sometimes parents just don't know. It's been so long since they parented, they just don't know. But I, I told my parents one time, I said, those cartoons are bad. You know, back when I was growing up, it was, you know, Bugs Bunny and, you know, uh, Mickey Mouse and those kinds of things. And today, there's a lot of bad cartoons out there. So sometimes they're not trying to do bad. They're just not, you know, current on what's right or wrong. But our parents are special friends. What would you let your friends do? you can basically take that to your parents. And that is the same boundaries exist. They can't control your life. They can't control your decision-making. They can't do things with your children that violate your rules. If they're gonna take care of the kids, if the kids are gonna be with them, they need to be an extension of you, not a balance of you, okay? And so our parents are special friends. So honor your mother and father. Honor your mother and father. You have to create enough separateness for you guys to be a family while still being close to them. And if there's problems, you need to defend each other. You need to protect each other, but be, but be friends with them and develop a good friendship and keep that friendship going. And I want to say one more time, if you invite their control, don't blame them if they do it. And if you let them use money or some other means to control you, don't blame them if they do it. You're the one who has to set the parameters, but do it very lovingly. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.